chapter, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. Just a few verses from what may be the most familiar chapter in the Bible. Genesis 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's turn now to the New Testament, to the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, and we'll read verses 19 through 33. Both of these readings are in connection with the Eighth Commandment, which is you shall not steal, and uh, which also delves more widely into the nature of our possessions. That's uh, your, your context you can have in mind as we read. Matthew 6 and verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither, must, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing look at the birds of the air they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not of more value than they and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life and why are you anxious about clothing Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, 
Will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So far, the Word of God. As we reflect on what we've read together, let's sing together from Psalm 49, stanzas 1 through 3. There the question is, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? The commandment is, you shall not steal. God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of His gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. So far, the Heidelberg Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we've been working our way through the Ten Commandments, and as we pick up this series again this afternoon, we want to remember the thing that we saw right at the very beginning of this series, which is the reason why God gave the commandments to us. As we've been struggling with some of these and wrestling with them, it's good to keep this context in mind. It's right there at the beginning of the law that you hear every week where God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In other words, God gives us this law uh, having set us free because now He wants us to be able to live as free. It's good to keep that in mind as we struggle through these things. The law is not given for us to be a burden for us to strap onto our backs and carry, but as a corrective to keep us from falling back into the kind of slavery that, uh, to, to use the parable, the kind of slavery that we would have experienced in Egypt. Uh, so we want to keep that in mind. Every commandment is going to confront us with our sin. Uh, we sometimes talk in this way about the law as a mirror uh, by which we are able to see ourselves more clearly. But we don't do that just in order to punish ourselves as, as sinners. We do that in order to find repentance and healing in obedience to God's law where there is life. Uh, Every commandment will show areas of our life that need correction and need changing, and that may feel like another burden on our backs. Uh, But the, the truth is, sin 
Sin is the burden that we're carrying on our backs that is sapping us of our life and our joy. The Ten Commandments are here to offer us the corrective with the grace of God. We saw that also in the first week. With the grace of God that's ours in Christ so that we can find healing on the other side. That's the big picture then that we want to keep in mind also uh, for this afternoon. And I mentioned uh, last week that out of all the Ten Commandments, if I were to give a survey, uh, which one uh, provides the most struggle and anguish in your life, probably most people would say the Seventh Commandment. And the opposite is probably true with the Eighth Commandment. A lot of us read the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, and we think, well, at least there's one that I've kept. I, I don't steal from anybody. How are you doing then with the Eighth Commandment? You shall not steal. Well, let's start by, by putting this into the big picture. We've seen every week there's, there's your surface commandment, you shall not steal. And there's a great deal of foundational uh, things that the Bible teaches us that exist there uh, that also re- need to be explored. Uh, something that's, that's so obvious we might, we might easily overlook it, but we should uh, recognize that's affirmed in this commandment is that the Bible respects the right of private property, ownership. Uh, And you can see that, right? You shall not steal. In other words, you shall not take the property that God has given to somebody else. Uh, It's it's their property. That's the the implication. God has given it as a gift to them. Uh, So the Bible respects and teaches the right to private property ownership. This is why Christians uh, ought to always reject any form of of government or economics that that excludes this private property ownership. This is why Christians reject communism that says that all property belongs to the state. Uh, This is why Christians also ought to reject any view of economics that, uh, that views wealth inequality as such, as a form of evil. Uh, and that's, that, that's fairly dominant in our, in our culture. This is the politics of envy that believes that it's wrong, it's evil for one person to have more wealth, more private property than another. Uh, the Bible teaches otherwise. Uh, both the rich and the poor are created by God. That's uh, uh, 1 Samuel 2, verse 7. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. Or Proverbs 22, verse 2. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Now, obviously, there are factors that do lead to income inequality that may well be, be evil. The abuse of the poor, uh, taking advantage of the poor, and these things are soundly condemned in Scripture. But the, the inequality as such is not the issue. Uh, sometimes people approach the Bible wrongly uh, with this simplistic mindset that one group is good and the other is, is bad. And it can go both ways, depending on who you're, who you're talking to. Some people read the Bible with the mindset that poor people are good and rich people are, are bad. And they would say, Jesus is poor, I'm poor, and so I must be like Jesus. Uh, that's a very hasty assumption. Uh, there are godly poor people and there are ungodly poor people. There are godly rich people and there are ungodly rich people. Uh, let me read you a quote from Proverbs 24, this is Proverbs 24, verse 30. He says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, 
by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. Some of you read that and you think, that's my neighbor he's talking about there. We've seen this. We've all seen this kind of person. And what is this? Is this godly poor or ungodly poor? Very ungodly. He's lazy. That's the whole point of, of the passage. He's poor because he didn't want to work. That's an ungodly uh, quality. Now, others uh, might go to the other extreme and, and say rich people are good. Poor people are bad. You hear that sometimes even in, in politically conservative circles. Uh, the only reason that rich people are rich is because they're smart and they worked hard and, and that's why they're rich. And poor people are poor because they're lazy and they didn't work hard. And that's why, they're, uh, that's why they are the way they are. Well, sometimes, but sometimes not. This is where Scripture draws lines that are different than the lines that we find drawn in our culture. Sometimes poor people are poor because they've been cheated or defrauded or ripped off. Sometimes the rich people are rich because they've taken advantage of the poor or stolen from others. That also happens. Well, the truth is, uh, there are godly rich people and there are ungodly rich people. There are, uh, and so you might think of Job or Abraham. Those are godly rich people. And there are ungodly rich people like Ahab. We've seen his reign over the last months. Or Zacchaeus, the tax collector, before he repented. He was an ungodly rich man. And there are godly poor people, like Joseph and Mary. Godly people, but very poor. And ungodly poor people, like the lazy man that we just read about in Proverbs. Wealth inequality is not the issue. Godliness is the issue. We draw different lines as Christians than the lines that our culture draws. Uh, so, that's our first foundational stone here. Uh, scripture teaches us to respect the right of private property, which means it's never okay to steal. And some people might say, well, what if the, rich, what if the person's rich? Isn't it okay to steal then? Uh, no. What if it's a rich corporation? They've got lots of money. No, not okay to steal. Uh, what God has given to others is not yours to take. That's our first foundational principle. Uh, secondly, we also want to recognize that all of our property, whether it's someone else's, whether it's ours, is ultimately on loan from God. Uh, in First, Chron- First Chronicles 29, uh, you find David in the assembly of Israel raising the funds for the building of the temple. And, and when he dedicates them to God, he says to God in his prayer, Who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer to you so willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given to you. Think about that that statement. Of your own we have given to you. All property is ultimately God's, and we have it on loan from Him. And even when we give it to God, uh, for example, in our tithes and our contributions, We're only giving God 
what is his in the first place. Uh, it's, it's like uh, the best analogy I've heard is when a child takes his mom's paper and mom's crayons and draws a picture for mom and then gives it to mom, uh, he, he hasn't given mom anything that wasn't already hers. And yet a good mother knows to say, thank you, my dear, that was so sweet. How good of you to give me this gift. That's how God receives the gifts from us. They are his in the first place, and yet he's gracious enough to, be, uh, to, to express pleasure and delight in our giving to him. And that's not just true of our financial gifts. It's true of gifts of service, gifts of time. God delights in those gifts, though they are given from him in the first place. The third foundational principle I want to lay before we tackle the commandment head on, this is probably the most important foundational principle, at least for this afternoon, and gets right to the heart of the commandment. Let me ask it in the form of a question. Which came first, our work or our money? Which comes first, biblically speaking? Which one exists for which? Well, we read earlier from Genesis 1, which talks about the creation of mankind. And it says that immediately after God created Adam and Eve, that's verses 26 and 27, I believe, uh, He created them. The first thing He does, He blesses them. And then after that, He gives them a task to do. To fill the earth, to subdue it, to rule over it. That was their task, and of course... Uh, We recognize that includes all forms of legitimate work, farming, manufacturing, mining, engineering, accounting. It extends into every every field. Also, uh, raising children and uh, every God-honoring career under the sun. So God created Adam and Eve and immediately blessed them and then immediately gave them their calling. And it's only after that that He says, And behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with its fruit. You shall have them for food. So the food was given to Adam and Eve after they had received their calling. Which comes first then? Our calling, our work, or our income? Well, biblically speaking, our our work, our calling still comes first. And which exists for which? Here's where we see the mindset of the world and the very different mindset of of Christians. Do we work for the sake of our income or does God give us income so that we may be able to go and do our work? Which comes for which? Now, so many people we see get this backwards. The biblical order is God gives us a calling, a task to do, and then God gives us through that task, God gives us what we need to keep carrying on with that task. That's our our income. So God made us to work. Now we recognize God made us above everything for worship, but that worship is what we, the context for worship is what we produce by our work. Work in itself is not part of the fall. That wasn't part of the curse. Uh, Work was there before the curse. Now, after the fall, God, God did curse our work by bringing thistles and thorns uh, so that our work would be, would be frustrated. But work itself is part of God's good creation. God made us to work, and God provides us with income for the purpose that we would work. Uh, that's what God has made us to do. 
That's why you'll spend the majority of your, your waking hours working, uh, living for the weekend, living for that early retirement. That's the mindset of our world. I, I work five days a week and I live for the weekend or I live for that early retirement. That is getting things backwards. Uh, God's purpose is that we would spend our lives working. Now, that obviously includes more than just our, our day jobs, as we, as we call them. We have uh, further work to do, additional callings. Uh, most of us have callings to raise children, also to be faithful husbands or wives or mothers or fathers, to serve, to work in, in the church as well, to serve uh, our neighbor for, for their well-being. These, these things, too, are part of our calling. We, we don't reduce that just to the... the, the work that we do for pay, uh, but we too easily approach the whole thing backwards, and, and we think we're called to live for the downtime, and the work is just the, the, the necessary evil that must be overcome in order to get to that downtime. The, the reality is, biblically, it's the other way around. Uh, Ecclesiastes 11, verse 6, says, Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. What it's saying is, don't quit working as soon as you hit retirement age. It's, when it talks about morning and evening, it's talking about the, the overall course of our lives. Don't just work during the, the so-called working years and, and then quit as soon as you hit retirement, but rather stay busy perhaps in something very different, but stay busy because God has called you to work. And you don't know which part of your life might turn out to be the more fruitful part of your life. It may be that retirement provides the perfect opportunity to pursue areas of ministry and service that previously weren't available. We were made to work. Uh, When we approach things backwards also, then everything in life becomes a burden. Uh, if you're living for the downtime, then it's a very frustrating life because the vast majority of your life is not going to be that downtime. And, and then everything just keeps interrupting my rest. Uh, we get home from work and then there's kids to put to bed and then there's a honey-do list and all these work, all this work that's interrupting my downtime. Uh, it's a very exhausting and frustrating life when we live for the downtime. If we approach our work biblically, uh, we recognize God has made me for service, to, to pour myself out. We discover there's, there's really so much grace interspersed between. There's these wonderful moments of downtime that I get to enjoy to refresh me for the work that I love to do. Uh, we, we have opportunities to stop and catch our breath, an entire day of the week, Sunday, in which we may rest and worship uh, and recharge for the week ahead. Life that is lived for service is life that is full of grace. Life that is lived for downtime is life that is exhausting. So this is important also for young people to, to be thinking about as you consider careers, as you consider what is the the work that God is calling you to do. Don't just look for the job that pays the best. It's the way the world thinks about it. I work for the income. Don't don't approach things that way. Look for the job that fits you 
where you can do your work and thrive and glorify God by it, that you can enjoy working since that's what you will do the majority of your life. Don't put the paycheck first. Well, one more text and, and then we'll get to the surface issue and we won't spend that much time on it. Don't, don't worry. Uh, we read from Matthew 6 earlier. And the Lord Jesus there says, No one can serve two masters. For he, he either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's what this commandment is about. What is your God? What are you living for? What are you working for? Uh, continuing again from Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, says the Lord, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? There's a concept for our world. Life is bigger than the things that you can buy. It's more than food. The body is more than, than clothing. Uh, you think about it, how many young people spend uh, their entire paycheck on clothing? Life is more than clothing. Or, let's put it in today's terms, uh, what about the big metal clothing that you drive around everywhere? That's clothing, too. We call them cars, but, but it's clothing. Uh, it's, it's not just it doesn't just have a utilitarian purpose of getting from A to B. It has a visual purpose. It's something you uh, put on. And, and that, that's not a criticism of having beautiful cars or, or beautiful trucks. Uh, you may say, yes, I need a car, and, and we need our clothes uh, as well. Those are good things. But it is also clothing. It's our image. We, we wear our vehicles. And so the, the same point applies here that the Lord is, is saying. Uh, is not life more than what you wear? Don't live for what you wear. The same is true for housing. Our housing is also a kind of clothing. It, 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 there's a visual image that it presents. Life is more than just the house. Uh, how many young people buy a brand new 4x4 truck purely because they, you know, they need to haul firewood? That's not to say it's, it's a wrong thing to buy, but it's clothing, and we all, uh, we all understand this. And so the question that the Lord Jesus is asking is, what are you living for, and is it worth being anxious about? Don't allow yourself to get things out of order. Uh, you see the point that the Lord makes right at the very end of the verses that we read. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. There are priorities that are set straight. Uh, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. In other words, make it your priority to make your whole life about loving God, serving God, loving and serving your neighbor, and God will add everything else that you need. Uh, so walk with God in terms of your possessions. Trust God for all that you need. Work, yes, work in the task that God has given you and then use the things that God gives you from your work to serve Him and to extend His grace and His goodness towards others. All right, so those are, there's, there's your, your, the rest of your iceberg. Those are our foundations. Let's go briefly to the commandment itself then. Uh, stealing, 
when you consider all these things, stealing is really only the extreme example of getting these things backwards. When we steal, we're sinning against God and our neighbor on two different fronts. Uh, there, there are two sins here. The one sin is, I'm taking what God has given to someone else. The other sin is, I'm choosing not to get it by working, which is what God has made me uh, to do. Uh, so I'm not going to work in the calling God has given me, and I'm going to take the gifts that God has given to someone else. Well, let's go back to our, our definition then of stealing, which is taking what God has given to someone else without their permission by violence or, or by force. Our catechism shows us it takes a lot of different forms. We may think of the most obvious of breaking in. That's, that's outright theft and robbery that the catechism uh, speaks of. Uh, and, and those would include break-ins, uh, hold-ups, pickpocketing, shoplifting, uh, employee theft as well, stealing from, from your employer. But it takes many more subtle forms as well, and that's what the catechism highlights for us. It mentions false weights and measures. That's in, in that time they used uh, gold or silver coins, and, and you would find out how much gold was in there by having a counterweight. And you could, uh, as a merchant, if you had a slightly different weight, you could that way increase your income ever so slightly. It's, it's stealing. Uh, also, deceptive merchandising. There's a big one in our day. How many people uh, today even still believe that advertising is even supposed to be honest? Like you don't even watch TV and, and see an ad and, and think, I wonder if they're, they're actually trying to be honest. We, we just expect them to give us the best sell, and, and we, don't, we don't even approach it, assuming that they're honest anymore. We take it for granted that, that they're going to try to be sneaky on us. Uh, also, counterfeit money, the uh, catechism mentions. Or usury. Usury is uh, in, an inordinately high interest rate that takes advantage of a desperate uh, situation. What about filing your taxes deceptively? You might say, yeah, yeah, but the government doesn't deserve uh, my money. Maybe not. Probably not. But the Lord Jesus tells us, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And that wasn't a great government either. Or what about this one? Wasting time at work. It's, it, that, that's stealing. It's stealing time that belongs to your employer. And there's a report on uh, salary.com that says that the average employee wastes two hours out of every eight-hour day. That's a, a, a huge time waster. And, and the, main, the main time wasters there are Facebook and social media. It, it's just time wasted that is stolen from an employer. Now, people will very easily justify this. Uh, I've seen this in, in conversations as well. Uh, yeah, but, but the reason I, I waste my time at work is because I'm not getting paid what I deserve to be paid. There it is, that, that entitlement. I'm not going to go and get a different job because I know I won't succeed in that. So instead, I'm going to steal from my employer. Well, you've agreed to work so many hours for such and such pay. It is theft to do any less. The Bible also talks about employers who steal, who steal from those who work from them by withholding wages that are due. At James 5, verse 1, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields. Uh, some of the landscapers here are understanding this one well. Uh, which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. 
and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. That's theft as well, withholding wages you've promised. Not paying people also things that you, you owe them. If you've agreed beforehand to pay it, then you must pay. Or borrowing something and, and not returning it is also theft. Breaking something and not telling the owner is also theft. Here's one for perhaps our, our young people, though I suspect it applies to all of us. What about illegal downloads? That too is theft. I was teaching this uh, catechism lesson once to a group of students, wasn't in this church, and, and they were shocked, literally they were shocked to hear that, that illegal downloading should be considered theft. Uh, the, the argument was everyone does it. Uh, one student said, uh, I don't know what they called me, Mr. Chase, uh, you don't understand. You're, you're too old to understand. You can't live in our day without illegal downloads. You can, you can, you can live without illegal downloads. But even if you couldn't, it's still theft. It's taking the work that others have done and not paying for it. And again, it doesn't matter if, if, if they're really rich. That's another argument. Yeah, but they, they have so much money, these celebrities, these famous music artists. They have so much money, they don't need it. Or one I've heard, uh, they're, they're very ungodly people. They wouldn't use the money well anyway. Why are you listening to their music? Uh, then. In any case, it is theft. Uh, and it, it is a struggle that, that I understand well. And it's one that I think more of us relate to than perhaps we would be honest. Uh, when I was a teenager, I had a huge music library. It was massive, and all of it, all of it was illegally downloaded. And over time, I understood this is wrong. This is theft. There's, there's conviction that, that God gives us, but it's very hard, very hard to accept that, especially as a teenager with your, your precious music library that you've organized and you've made all these playlists and you've got the lyrics on all the, the songs and, and it feels like life is not going to go on without my music library that I have stolen. But it is, it is theft and it's a lot easier to delete than you really think. Uh, life really does go on without it. And, and either way, it, it is choosing to have a possession over against a relationship with God. If God is giving you the conviction that this is theft, this is wrong, then you, and you persist in having it anyways, it is choosing that possession over against a relationship with God. Uh, the consequence of that is that there, there is a breakdown in our relationship with God. We're choosing our music uh, instead. Delete it, repent of it, and come uh, again before God. Don't live with the guilt of having something that you know that God has convicted you does not belong to you. The same point I would add is true of watching movies illegally online. It's not hard to find those, you know, those shady sites somewhere out of Russia that that have every, every movie you could ever watch uh, without paying for it, but you know it is theft. These are things that do not belong in the Christian home. Now, the Catechism mentions a, a few more things as well. God also forbids all greed, all abuse, all squandering of his gifts. Uh, greed, greed is an unquenchable desire to have more. 
And it's never satisfied. I must always have more. And we don't think of it that way when we're experiencing greed. All we think of is, if I just had this, then I'd be satisfied. If I just had 10% or 20% more income, that's all I'm asking for until we get it. And then if we could just have another 10 or 20%. Greed is unquenchable. The more you have, the more you want. Isaiah 5 verse 8 addresses the rich in Israel at that time and says, Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field until there's no more room and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. That's where greed ultimately goes. It's never satisfied until there's no room for anybody else. I must have everything for myself. The Catechism also mentions abuse and squandering of God's gifts. It's using them for for wrong pleasures uh, instead of recognizing that that they're gifts to be used to God's honor. And and the list could easily go on and on. But here's the question that that we want to be asking. Behind all of these different forms of stealing, what's going on at the level of the heart? When we steal, we are choosing to not live in relationship with God. We're choosing to ignore and to violate His commandments. And behind that, the thing that, that motivates us to steal is we're rejecting the life that God has given us. That's what it comes down to. God, I am not satisfied with the, the things that You have given me, the life that You have given me, and so I'm going to go take matters into my own hand and get something else for myself. We're declaring that the life and the calling, also the work that God has given us, is not enough for us. And that ultimately then, He is not enough for us. And when we do that, we're declaring ourselves to be our own God. We're saying, I'm not going to, remember what's the purpose of our life? To know God, to love Him live with Him. We're declaring, I'm not going to know God, love Him, and live with Him as He's created me to do. Instead, my world is going to revolve around me. Uh, We're declaring ourselves to be God. We're saying, instead of working as God has made me to do, working for God, working for my neighbor, I want God and my neighbor to serve me. We're saying, the world is mine, and I'm going to get what I can get my hands on. Well, brothers and sisters, then it's so important to understand that stealing is only the extreme. It's only the surface example of this sin. The bigger question is, what is my heart attitude towards my life, my calling, and my possessions? Uh, At the heart level, am I choosing to live with God, serving Him, using the means He gives me, living honestly before Him, Or am I going to live life on my own, uh, looking out for number one, and then whatever I can get my hands on is going to be fair game to me? That's the heart behind the sin. So the big question is, are we living with God and our neighbor, or are we using God and our neighbor to live for ourselves? And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is will also be. In other words, uh, how you spend your money shows what you really love. It's the undeniable proof of where our hearts 
really are. And you can't argue against it. Uh, how I, you break down my budget, you look at uh, where my wallet goes, that will show what I love. So again, how are we doing on this commandment? Perhaps not as good as we initially thought. And it gets worse. The truth is, all sin is stealing. All sin is stealing. It's stealing the breath that God gives us in order to live for him. And it's using it for our own glory. It's stealing his glory in order to serve our own. All sin is stealing. That's why Jesus commanded us to pray, forgive us our, our debts. We owe a debt to God. Uh, we, we owe him because we've stolen from him. Well, here's where you and I need to, to hear and to remember the gospel. Christ was crucified between two thieves. Both were guilty. Both were getting what they deserved. And Jesus was the only one who wasn't getting what he deserved. And there's only one difference between those two thieves. One of them repented, confessed his sin, and turned to Christ and was saved. And the other did not. As Christ said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Christ could only say that because he was carrying the wrath of God in his place at that moment there on the cross. There is forgiveness for sinners, for thieves like you and me. And it comes freely through Christ to all who turn to him in repentance. So maybe you ask, well, what should I do then if I have been a thief? But have, uh, but have now repented of my sin. I've deleted my, my music library or whatever it is. What do I do now? And, and I want to trust in Christ. What must I now do? Well, here's what we need to know. Christ forgave us. Christ bought us in order also to renew us. He forgave us in order to sanctify us, to make us holy, not just with regard to our past, but also with regard to our, our present Ephesians 4, verse 28 says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may give to someone, uh, give something to, to him who has need. What's the opposite then of stealing? It's not just not stealing any longer, it's working and giving generosity, uh, working joyfully, diligently in our calling that God has given us for his glory and for our neighbor's good and giving generously to those who are in need. What does that look like in practice? Let me just list a couple of things. Uh, Number one, embrace the calling that God has given you. He has given it, remember, for your good. God's your father. He loves you. The calling he's given you is for your good. So embrace it, work in it diligently, and do so with integrity before God. Glorify God, serve your neighbor through your work, and, 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 and do not work just for the money that you earn. Number two, live simply. Live simply. The focus of our lives is in rejoicing in God and, and loving Him and, and because of our love for him, serving and loving one another. And money can't buy any of those things. You don't need a lavish lifestyle to honor God and to love your neighbor. Don't fall for the deceit of money and the attraction of a glamorous lifestyle. It always 
always disappoints. Uh, Live for the greatest riches of all, which is the love and the nearness of God. And you don't need a lot of money to have that. Uh, So live simply and rejoice in God. Number three, use your money and your home to show God's goodness and God's grace to others. That's the application there of Ephesians 4. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him work so he can give. Use your money and use your home to extend God's grace to others. Hebrews 13 verse 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have even entertained angels unawares. Hospitality should then be near the top of our values for every Christian family. It's it's said uh, that John Calvin received 500 liters of wine as part of his his yearly salary, just putting it out there. Uh, And we can assume that it wasn't just for his own consumption. You hope so. Uh, But he and his wife, the records show, had guests over every single night uh, of their week. In that way, a, a big house can be a very great blessing, not just to yourself, but when you bring others into it, when it's used for hospitality. Our our money also is is an extension of God's love. Uh, When we use it rightly, giving to the poor should always be done, of course, with wisdom and and discretion. Uh, Sometimes helping hurts. There's a whole book uh, that goes by that title. But that should never be an excuse not to give. Uh, in our church, for example, we support the Canadian Reform, Reform World Relief Fund that allows us to be able to give knowing that the money is going to be well spent. Even the offertory this, this afternoon, too, for the Ontario Christian Gleaners, uh, they exist for that purpose as well, to be able to be a place that we can give where we know that the money will be well used, where the helping actually helps. Uh, so, so give. Use your money to, to support those in need. And finally, this is the last thing, give to Christian mission as well. Participate in it also as much as possible. Don't just give with your money. Give with your time. Give with your energy. Uh, there is no greater gift that we can give to anyone than the gospel. That's what certainly at the top of what Christ meant when he said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and God will give you all these things as well. Uh, Support Christian mission. Pray for Christian mission every single day. Uh, Recognize that the, the pain, the brokenness, the poverty that exists in the world is a fruit of sin. Uh, You you look at where are the poorest places on earth, and what's the real root of that poverty? And it's not the absence of natural resources. It's the brokenness in relationships that leads to to that uh, physical, financial poverty. Give to Christian mission. Work for it. Pray for it. and, And cultivate in yourself also a passion for the glory of God and a desire to extend it to others. So, brothers and sisters, in summary, walk with God in all of your possessions and in your work. Trust him for all that you need. Work in the task that has been given to you and embrace the calling that God has given for your good. And then give your life away as well. We weren't created to keep our lives here on earth, but to give them in service to God and one another. Because in Christ, we have the abundant eternal life that cannot be taken away. He is no fool, as, as the missionary Jim Elliot said, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen. 
Let's respond by singing together from Psalm 62, stanzas 5 through 7.